Warning. 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 Trigger alert. She about to say some real shit. It's like the new. Th- it's like the new research. There's no. You can't multitask. You know that. Is that what they say? Yeah, people are saying that it's all bullshit. Multitasking is bullshit. But you know, I, I don't agree because I like to when I'm working. Are you the exception that proves the rule? I don't know if it's like I was not diagnosed properly with like ADHD or something, but I like to kind of have. All the stuff I need to do all kind of at the same time. So I like I'll write like two words in a paragraph and then I'll like draw a little thing and then I'll get on the phone and I'm kind of doing. And you can get something done. You can finish one of those. Little tiny baby steps on each thing. Not that I'm if there's something that needs to be done and that needs like hyper focus, then yes, everything needs to sort of like go away. But in my day to day, I sort of like to work on a couple things at the same time and just make minimal small progress steps. But at once like they're they're all in front of you. They're all in front of me. I do like to work like that. Like I was doing like sketches and like typing at the same time yeah. and and I I was enjoying it. If I had to sit there and just sketch it would just be annoying to me or just type. Okay. Maybe but, you know, you have multiple personalities. I do. I'm like a Sybil. <laughs> Do you remember that book and that like speaking of uh, well we're not talking about logos what am I talking about? <laughs> but that like the design of the civil of the Sybil book was was insane with all the cut text because oh, yeah, she had yeah, like yeah, multiple yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was a good one it's good graphic design Google it kids <laughs> um, Brad I haven't seen you in so long you've just been working like a little like a little elf. Christmas elf you can say elf so what what are you doing. I'm helping build the the. Uh, I'm helping build the like in store displays for Macy's and all those places. For I mean, it's like a freaking dream job of mine. It sounds so. It's fun. kind of my dream job. I'd known about. So you know how I got it. Yes. Okay. So Ted, shout out to Ted. Right. Ted and Dana, sister of a, f- a dear friend, does this. This is what they do, and. Um, so but what does she do? Forever. So what does she do when she's not doing Christmas stuff, or is she doing Christmas stuff they all do, year? They they have to hire a lot. Of, they do have a full time staff, but they have to hire a lot of seasonal help. That's why I'm doing it. But are they like when Christmas is over? Are they yeah, starting they again do, in January? I think they do like maybe some film stuff and trade shows during the slow season. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty intense. So cool. are you like whittling wood? What are you doing? Well, the cool thing is everything's a one-off, and they're all. And even though they've been doing it for so long, they're kind of like inventing the ways to do this shit. Dude, you walk in there, it's like Willy Wonka. Like there's like you walk, there's just stuff moving. Like they've got robots, like just the core of these robots, like moving and and because they have to test them, I guess. Oh, that's they'll just right. Be, they'll just be it's constantly like... going, and like. I mean, that's their whole thing. Like other people can do displays, but their shit moves, right? And they're like. <laughs> there's just yeah, there's stuff constantly moving all around you, and like it's it's pretty cool. But yeah, they've they've got to just you kind of have to invent the way to put this shit together. I mean, some of it's stuff that they kind of know they've done before, but it's pretty fun. Everything's a one-off, so there's no re- so repetition. what what happens to um, and they have a, a used shops. item? Do, do you I don't get, know? Do I they think the keep... stores like 
chuck the shit out they themselves. I don't it. think it gets recycled. Damn. But I don't know. You like saved me that guy Dude, on the right. The stuff, some of this shit, is, I mean, it's not just fucking put together with cardboard. Like, I built this whole, like, kind of Vegas signpost. Uh-huh. And it's all, like, metal and plexiglass with, like, light, real lights on the inside and wood on the back. I mean, the shit would last. Wow. It's all well made. Could it's better made than Vegas. <laughs> 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 but no, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, I've known about the gig for a while, and it was just it was just the first time that I actually like had time and to do it. It's a, it kicks my ass. It's a lot of work, but it is kind of fun. And then they've got all these shops. They've got like an animation shop, a metal shop, wood shop. Every fucking tool you could ever want. The huge 3D printer. Oh. It's, dude, you could literally make anything you want. Next there. year, I have to work there, too. <laughs> I should. have to. It sounds so fun. You should. It's it pretty, really it's it sounds cool. It sounds amazing. So today, we have... <laughs> let, let's get away from the, the elves. <laughs> Speaking of the elves. <laughs> and uh, go into um, the world of psychedelics. <laughs> now, weed is, is weed a psychedelic? They say it is. I don't, know. I don't, I don't, I don't find classified it. as that. Um, you if, it, is, if it's good, I guess it you is. don't. You don't love the weed <laughs> like I love the weed. You know what? I love the weed. I just don't fucking use it. Right. You're like, hey, I, hey, friend. I'll tell you something. When they legalize weed here in New York, I will probably once once there's more selection. I think the problem is I I can't deal with chronic man. I mean, ruin. Oh it, shit. <laughs> I can edit that. Uh, okay. This guy. <laughs> this person that we all know that I Homies. used to work with. Home home slices. Who had the most chronic shit in New York kind of ruined it for me because I that literally That was a time got, of weed that was really high dude, powered. Now it's much more like refined. I just one hit of that stuff that he used to. You're like, hell yeah, have. it's a psychedelic. And it made, and I, I was like tripping on acid. Right. Like for real though. And and if I could get the dirt weed, the fucking leaf that I used to smoke when I was fourteen, right? The chill, the chill bud. I would totally smoke weed. In fact, I need to. Because well, to, so funny you should say that. But today's guest um, has picked like the winning strains right. for like the last ten years at I, the High I Times fucking, Cannabis Cup. I should have been here. You should have been. He could have told me what what I could smoke. He would have told you the kind bud Perfect and formula. the right. Perfect formulations and it and it was interesting because when I was talking to him, I was like, I'll fucking smoke it on anything. I'm fucking <laughs> I don't fucking care. Like just hand it over. Like you know, I'm not quite as picky, but at the same time, I think um my um I don't want to say dealer because it sounds, but my uh, curator, my weed curator, <laughs> always kind of asks me what I want, how I want to feel. So they they're doing the work for me. So I f- just feel like I'm not sort of picking anything, but they're actually like kind of analyzing what I want. Right. But he is so super like specific about. Uh, the smell and the taste and the burnability. It's a real art. Right. We have Danny Danko from High Times Magazine, who is um, the man that you need to talk to. The, the connoisseur of weed. The connoisseur of weed. And um, yes, I will I will mention it to him that you're looking for something smooth. A recipe. A, but a smooth, smooth, you know, with no, with no aftertaste. Yeah. Right. <laughs> No after effects. 
ah, to be stoned with your children. It's literally, <laughs> it's just, it's heaven on earth. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, damn, that drawing's great, honey. <laughs> Do another one um, on my arm. <laughs> no, you know, I don't like, I don't really like to be high when I'm with my kid because I just don't want to. Because be... you've seen the commercial. I have. And, <laughs> right. I don't want to be a negative influence uh, when, when he's old enough, when he's old enough. And, uh, but I, I think I would benefit from being will. high. I would be less, less annoyed. Well, once he becomes a teenager, you'll have to be high because in, you will indeed. not survive otherwise. My, my kid told me he wants Louis Rattan for Christmas. <laughs> I'm like, what? He's like, Louis Vuitton. I'm like, okay. I'm going to look for that. Um, let's jump right in and Dude, talk. I want to get and, high. And um, not only is Danny Danko um, the king of weed, he also used to dabble in, in the arts of graffiti. Uh-huh. The secret arts of graffiti. Do tell. Let's listen and uh, find out more. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey everybody, we're here today with the infamous Danny Danko. Hello. Hello. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. You also have a podcast. I do. It's actually on hiatus right now, but it's called Free Weed from Danny Danko. High Times presents Free Weed. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's mostly just about how to grow your own. Cannabis. So I wanna I wanna talk about all of that stuff, but I wanna just start and talk about you a little bit. <laughs> okay. You are from uh, the Russia. That's right. The motherland. Yes. I my was... family's from Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. So when did you come to America? I my family brought me over when I was a baby, basically three years old in nineteen seventy five. Uh it was still the Soviet Union at that time and uh you know, very few people were allowed out, but uh they were allowed out. Uh they were basically exiled. Uh, my father was an artist, abstract artist, and they just wanted him gone, basically. <laughs> They're like, no painting for you. Get yeah, out. you know, it's like the abstract art was not really, you know, allowed. You know, they thought maybe it was making fun of them or something. <laughs> okay. You know? So the art, you know, that, that was sanctioned was like, you know, Soviet art, you know, to promote, you know, the wheat fields and the farmers. And the, you, and, right, the unity of of the communistic. Right, um, social realism, basically. Right, like, right, right. You know, a, Someone with a, and so you're also Jewish, half Jewish, half yeah. Jewish, mm-hmm. and were was your Jewish? Were they like a practicing Jew? Was that like part of the reason? Well, it was my my father was Jewish, and he uh, he was practicing. He later later on ended up converting to Christianity, but being Jewish was part of the reason they wanted. Uh, you know, they let allowed us to leave, um, but not so much practicing. I was never bar mitzvah. I never really went to temple or any of that good because uh, it's, it's a trap it's a fucking trap it was well, like a whack it. trap I had friends that were in catholic school friends that were in hebrew school and all of it just seemed like nonsense to it, me it, so. it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah. um so where did you guys 
when you came to America, where did you uh, right. live? Right. Well, we first lived in New York for about a year. Uh, ver- then my parents got jobs uh, at Virginia Tech, so we lived in Virginia for a minute. And then I basically grew up in Houston f- until about age 11. Hmm. Um, my father uh, killed himself when I was a kid at age 11. Oh and God. then uh, we moved to Boston. And so I grew up – I tell people I'm from Boston basically because okay. from age 12 – on, I was in Boston till you know, 21 and then moved to New York after graduating from BU. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to remember back before, like the Houston era and the, you know, Virginia It must have time. been a, a, str- a strange culture shock for you. Yeah, yeah. I, Houston, I feel for like, my parents especially, you know, and yeah, then for me too, Texas, you know, being a little Russian kid in Texas in the 80s. You know, (laughs) I got called a commie a lot, you know, and like, you know, I definitely didn't feel like a part of that culture. And then when I moved to Boston, I actually ended up uh, kind of embracing, you know, the skateboarder, skateboarding life and Uh got interested in graffiti and and punk rock and all of those kind of things that were popping in like 85, 86. Uh, And I don't know what it was, but it all really appealed to me like that outlaw kind of outsider ish. Uh, mentality, and I, I loved skateboarding too. And it, you know, it kind of came from that. All my friends were either into you know hip hop or punk rock or hardcore, and you know, it all just kind of blended together in a way back then. So, were you smoking weed then? I was. I was. I started at a pretty young age. I was probably twelve or thirteen. Uh, I just remember not not even thinking you know twice about it. Like the first opportunity I got. Uh, to smoke, I smoked, and then did you get high the first time you get high? You smoked. I did. I did. I actually even ended up, I think, throwing up that first time, <laughs> which is not a great sign. But I ended up. I uh, puked from my first cigarette. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So then, but your but body's then, like, what is this? Yeah. Somehow, yeah. I still, you know, ended up enjoying it and and continuing to do it, and and you know, then I started kind of you know selling it and got interested in growing because a friend of mine showed me a grow room. I mean, a tiny little closet that he had with a, a stolen light from like a street light. And, uh, and he, but he was growing like a quarter pound every three, three or four months. Uh, and it was the h- highest quality I, I had seen, you know, like, you know, we had gone out to like dead tour parking lots and things that like that. shit? We used to fucking smoke with oh all like the seeds and the stems, uh, yeah. like brown, like dirt. We, of course. If the, and you'd be happy first, to have it too. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, yeah. The first time it's, you know, I can remember the first seedless green pot that I ever saw. I can remember the first bong hit of Kind Bud, you know, from like a hippie friend that had like, you know, the amazing Kind Bud. And so there was a time when all of it was all out there. You know, there was like every grade. And now I think, you know, you just can't get away with any, any of that no, anymore. No, 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 no. <laughs> There's a whole different level of kind of mids, I guess, these days. So you were living in Boston. You're skating. You're punk rocking. You're graffitiing. <laughs> you're in college. You go to BU. And then you said to yourself, I want to move to New York City. Yeah. I mean, it was a combination of kind of feeling like graduating from Boston, graduating from college, you know, and, you know, what's next? Uh, I had a, you know, girlfriend at the time that was moving to New York as well. So that, that, Convenient. <laughs> that helped. And, you know, I just always loved New York. I mean, it was like the, the center of the universe as far as I was still concerned. Still is, isn't it? I feel like it still is. I've been yeah. doing a lot of walking in the city and, you know, it's a little overblown what people say. I mean, it's still New York, you know. Yeah, it's interesting because you're like, oh, I hate it, all this building, all these people, and then you're like, 
wait a minute, yeah. it's the best. Yeah, you take a walk through Chinatown with the headphones on, listen to something really nice, stoned, and you'll you'll see New York. Yes, indeed, <laughs> I agree. So you moved to New York to do what? Uh, you know, it was mostly, I guess, to grow because I knew, you know, there was de- this was the era of the delivery services. So we're talking about like oh, you know, 94, 95, the, those the were end the days. of the, the Dinkins era, the beginning of Giuliani. So, you know, Giuliani sort of shut down the weed spots that were like out in, in the right. open. And so that birthed, you know, this kind of. Also, you know, beepers and right. um, all that like technology mm-hmm. like allowed that to sort of flourish right right and it became like a delivery service attitude where you could get you know 50 or 60 dollars for two grams uh and that just kind of that led to an escalation of prices here so if you were growing here you could get like a lot of money for so you were early on the like the weed as a job wave yeah yeah, I would say so. I mean, there was other people, of course. I mean, no, but I'm just saying that, right. like, this was like an important, like, you saw this as, um, as a viable, like, after college business. Right, right. Yeah. At that time, for me, it was like you couldn't survive on minimum wage in New York City anyway. Like, you had to supplement your income. Well, you had a college degree. Did you? <laughs> were you trying to, like, it was like $8 then, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, no, uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, I worked at this, like, a shipping manager at a bunch of different places and, you know, sort of was just trying to get my foot in the door. I knew that there was no, like, it wasn't going to last. Like, you can't just grow in New York City and not get, robbed or busted at some point because and that's like part of the job exactly right? i mean we're, we're all just way too close together and you know the smell of when you're harvesting you know eight pounds in new york is just impossible to contain you know everyone in your building kind of knows a little bit about what's going on right. and, you know it's just it's risky and it's it's dangerous you know i tell people all the time it's like yeah i encourage people to grow but you have to understand the consequences you know if you're in a place where you know you know, and, and like the cops are a fear, but even other, you know, other people are a fear too, obviously, because you're the prey. Sure. You know, you, you can't go to the cops and tell them, oh, somebody robbed me or this. Right. How are you, you know, <laughs> you're not paying taxes right. on, on, you know, there's so yeah. many levels. And, of- and living here, everyone just, the first question people ask you, it's like, what do you do? You know, you have to have, you're basically lying to everyone you meet right off the bat. You know, you can't tell them, oh, I grow pot. You know what I mean? It's like. Oh, I I manage a band or I promote, you know, a nightclub or I do this or that. So it's like, I don't know. It's just feel like I'm really into agriculture. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's tough to form uh, friendships and bonds with people when you can't tell them like the number one sure. thing that you love and that you're passionate about. I mean, you know, we even like as far as graffiti goes it like, you know, I dabbled, you know, did pieces, grew up, with, you know, doing all of that. But I was also taught only commit one crime at a time. So and I always had weed on me. So it was like you know, hampering my ability to get up, <laughs> you know, right. I didn't want to like get caught and then have, you well, know, was it for like purse? Was it for like personal consumption or you were going to go like trap after you both. painted? All right. <laughs> both, all right. Both. I love both. that. So, you know, but you know, it kind of became my number one passion was like growing, smoking, selling and all of that. And I had to pursue basically some kind of career and there wasn't a lot of options at the time. I mean, I worked at a hemp uh, baseball hat company in the 90s called Headcase, and that kind of got my foot in the door for, okay. for my career at High Times because uh, we were like the only two companies on the East Coast at the time. Well, it's interesting. So I wanted to talk to you like how did, how did you get involved with High Times and how 
and this is a separate question we'll talk about after, how could High Times operate in New York City or anywhere in the country, really, I guess? It was all illegal. Right. How could you have an actual business devoted to illegal, um, <laughs> you know, d- drug? I mean, I hate to even call it that. Right. It's just, well, like, I mean, ridiculous. that's the way it's seen. And, and, and you know— uh, it's been around. We're celebrating our 45 year anniversary uh, this year, so we've been around since '74, and you know it's protected by the First Amendment. It's one of the things that you know our Constitution gives us is that uh, the right to free speech, and you can talk about it. You can give people instructions and and things like that. Uh, but you know we can, we couldn't sell it. We couldn't you know there's there were certain restrictions as to what we could do. We couldn't put our name onto the paraphernalia. Okay. Um, as long as we were protected by the First Amendment, we, you know, you can say anything you want, you know, in print, as long as, you know, you're not also at the same Slandering time. Slandering and, right, right. And misinformation. So, so, and that's interesting because other countries like, you know, Australia and the UK, um, they don't have that. They're, any literature that, you know, as they say, like, promotes the manufacture of narcotics or whatever is, is banned and illegal. So my book is banned there. Hmm. Um, High Times is, you know, technically banned in those places because they have laws against free speech in some ways when it comes to drugs. I mean, it's like an exception that they have for narcotics. Well, isn't it interesting though? I mean, weed is decriminalized here, but it's still illegal in theory, right? If they wanted to, they could, they could, um, Mm -hmm. doesn't it just seem like it's so prevalent and so accepted within the (laughs) culture? And I think a lot of that is probably due to high times and people like you, but it never felt like it was this subversive, secret world. It was just always around. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for the people who were like, you know, involved, deeply involved in it, they had to be careful. I mean, there was of course always did. the threat of incarceration. Law enforcement is, you know, always looking for a reason to get in your pocket and run you through the system. Um, well, so, it's only about money. And, and New right. York City is the, the marijuana arrest capital of the world. I mean, even to this day. I mean, at times during Giuliani, it was over 50,000 arrests per year. It's gone down to, you know, in the 20s, maybe 30,000, but it's like 90% black and Latino. But it's There's, all about money. It's course, all about money. Yeah, no, it's all about money, running people through the system. I think it's also about getting fingerprints. They want to get, you know, oh, data. They want to get people's fingerprints 100%. so that later on they have a bigger database. Uh, so, you know, you can't fingerprint babies, but you can catch, you know, guys on the corner. They fingerprint your baby when you're when your baby's right. born. I don't think but that what, goes I, into like a police database. Right, but, but why wouldn't it? Or right. why, like, they'll make that happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, they'll do anything they can. And, you know, it's up to us to resist against whatever they'll push because they'll go as far as they want to go. Right. Know? That's kind of what outlaws have been doing all this time. I mean, it's kind of, to me, it's one of the things I love about this show is that you— you really don't differentiate. It's not like about just graffiti or about just, you know, any particular one thing. It's about... It's about subcultures, my subcultures dear. Subcultures and authenticity within those subcultures. Right. And, and how, how they affect mass culture. Right. And form, you know, um, the society and the the rules in society that we right. live by. Right. On a macro level and then on a micro level, how an individual navigates that the pathway between the underground and the mainstream right like where when you make that decision to 
you know, basically like reveal yourself as, oh, I'm Claude. Here's a, here's a book about me with pictures of me, you know, or, you know, I'm a grower. Let me teach you guys how to grow because this is political. It's a political act, you know, um, all of these things, whether people understand it or not, you know, when you live as an outlaw, you are political, you, you know, no, doesn't right. matter. you're making a huge statement mm-hmm. um, that is anti-establishment. Right. And that, and that includes, you know, skateboarding and, and hip hop and, and all these cultures that were basically started by children um, and then co-opted by, you know, society. Um, even hackers, I would say, put the, them right. in, in that kind of thing. You know, these are kids that learn how to manipulate, you know, computers. And then eventually they're hired by those same companies to keep kids like them from doing what they do to them. So, you know, it's, it's, so you're fighting children your entire, <laughs> like your entire life, well, basically. Yeah. These, <laughs> right. You Childish know, ideals. But, but, but it's, you know, 15 and 16 year old kids that are creating these subcultures and then these, they become billion dollar industries. And at some point, you know, they become corporatized and they become, you know, co-opted, but that authenticity can't be bought, right? Like the person Correct. who paid, you know, paid their dues and did their 10,000 hours, you know, to be cheesy about it. But the person who's there and authentic, you can't pay for that. You can't buy that. And that's what lasts, you know, that's the diamond that lasts forever uh, amid the, you know, all the other stuff that's kind of flash in the pan. Yes. And people are, especially in this world where misrepresentation and, you know, manipulating images, people really are thirsting for for realness. Yeah. And um, I, I see sort of youth culture is having a real issue with recreating something new right now they're sort right. of stuck they're listening to their parents music mm-hmm. they're wearing their parents clothes they're sort of doing the their parents pastimes and mm-hmm. um and i think it's because technology is moving so fast the world is changing so fast that people are so petrified that they're holding on to stuff that they know yeah, I agree, but something new will come. You know? I know, I know. I'm just waiting. Right? I'm like, waiting, though. It's bu- it's bubbling up as we speak, and um, you know, we just may may not see it yet. But there's kids creating something new right now that will be, you know, co opted in the near future at some point. Yeah, uh, and it's something we, you know, may not even know about or understand, but it's happening. I think, you know, I would hope because it seems like a recurring theme over and over. If you look at, you know, all of these cultures. You I know. don't see youth culture really kicking ass right now. Or there's something in particular that young people are doing that seems really intriguing or interesting. And on this podcast, I interviewed uh, Jeanette Beckman, who is the quintessential punk rock photographer in London from the 70s to the 80s. And then she came to New York to photograph all the emerging hip hop and I asked her what is going on in in youth culture where can you find youth culture and she said sadly they're in their living rooms on their phones right and that they're not doing because they're living within their phone the technology which is a mini computer okay Mm -hmm. we don't have to call it a phone they're living in the internet right um instead of sort of 
doing activities outside that is propagating the culture right. in, in an authentic way. Well, yeah, it seems all, forced. Digital you know, things, digital things go away. I mean, that's kind of I'm I'm in print, so right. <laughs> you know, I kind of, you know, we of course we have a website and we have all our social media and all of that, and we have our events. But you know, the print is the print. It's a thing you hold in your hand, and it's forever. And uh, you know, it's sad to see you know that you know people under thirty just don't even read magazines, and I've never I never see them opening any kind of magazines or print or books for that matter for the most part. But I got to believe that something's out there and and there will be a backlash, you know, to this, the, the culture of, you know, everything being digital. digital I, right. I think so. I, I have faith that like, you know, the kids will always find a way they to They better. Come themselves. on, kids. Get yeah. up. Get up and you know, uh, do something. They'll create something new and then we'll, we'll hate it and then eventually we'll realize that it's, it's valid. Okay. <laughs> so how... Did you and High Times intersect and then you um, becoming their senior <laughs> cultivator? How did that happen? Uh, well, you know, like I said, I worked for that hemp company. Uh, we were out in Jersey City. Uh, at the same time, I was growing. I mean, look, that job, honestly, was just a cover to tell, you know, my girlfriend's parents. I, I'm, I'm, I work at this company. You're like, I make hats. But, I'm, yeah. a hat. I'm, a, <laughs> exactly. I'm a milliner. But, you know, you're making twelve fifty an hour making hats. And then, you know, at the same time, I was I, that that money was not necessary. I was making money. Selling, right. That was just growing. And, yes. you know, I, I started playing for the high time softball team. Go bong hitters. OK. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I got to know people there because, first of all, they wanted good cannabis they wanted good weed and i had good weed and you know they liked me i think you know they liked my weed for sure for sure and uh you know a job opened up right 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 around 9-11 right after 9-11 um they moved offices and i helped them move offices and basically just want to get my foot in the door you know i tell people just get your foot in the door intern give you know a freelance do that's what you, it ha- do that's what you gotta you, do right. and then and make someone else's job easier you know make the person who hired you make their job easier figure out what they need and and f- help them and fix their problems, and when the time comes to hire someone, they're gonna look at you because everybody's lazy. You know, people are lazy. They want they want the person there that's gonna help them and make their job easier. And if you're right there in front of them doing it already, it's a no brainer. And that's how I got my foot in the door. And you know, little by little, you know, I was a ship shipping manager there. I started working in products. I started working in circulation. I kind of got a glimpse of all the different ways that you you know you do in publishing and i got to go over to amsterdam for cannabis cup and i got to do all these amazing things and meet all of my heroes in the industry because i was already like i said a grower but now i got to meet the breeders who made the seeds and the people who you know wrote the books before me and and you know it was just it was like the only career i ever wanted do you know what i mean like i didn't want to wear a suit i didn't want to work in an office i didn't want a job at all but if i had to have a job this it was, was ha- right. This was it. <laughs> you know, it was like a dream job because I got to go all around the world in Vancouver and Spain and Holland and all over America and basically people throwing weed at you like, try this, try this. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Sounds and- <laughs> like the best job. <laughs> it really was enjoyable and is enjoyable. You know, it was a lot of fun. Um, but again, there's a deadline every month and there's things you got to do and there's a job to be done. It's not, you don't just sit around getting high all day. You know, and that's like kind of the myth that people have. I mean, we. I mean, you do, you do, but you still have to do stuff. But there's stuff to be done, and and, you know, a magazine has to come out every month, and an event has to be put on, and all these things. So, you know, lest people think that you know we don't work, it's it's a hard it's hard work, but it's 
fun and it's gratifying and getting to see like the political changes too has just been incredible. I mean, I've been there a little over 17 years full time now. Wow. And you know, the, the changes in the world that have happened in cannabis, uh, is just phenomenal. It's so like, b- before nine eleven. Right before mm-hmm. you were at a high times, where would you say the epicenter of marijuana was on this planet? Was it Amsterdam? Was I, it California? Was it um, in some other location that I have no clue? Right. At that time, I, I mean, I would say Northern California. That's really kind of like the, the heart and soul of, you know, particularly like the growing industry, can, uh, cannabis cultivation you know there's people have been doing it for generation after generation passing it down to their kids and and you know that's kind of the heart and soul of it but as far as legal the legal world amsterdam was like the oasis where you could go and you know the cough go to the coffee shop and smoke and be treated like a customer instead of a criminal and buy seeds and bring them back and grow all the different strains that had won the cannabis cup and Mm -hmm. things like that um, so Amsterdam was really like a Mecca that you would go to visit and come back with, you know, your, your jewels that you would, you know, whether it be knowledge or genetic or whatever. And, but, you know, I would say the heart and soul of, you know, the cannabis world was Northern California. And this all like kind of stems from these hippie ideals, mm-hmm. sort of our society now is based on a lot of these like hippie ideals a lot of um it's just been sort of perverted by capitalism well the hippies were right about a lot of things yeah. i mean look at you know organic food and right and, uh, right know, vegetarianism and veganism that, you know but then um, it's but then the same as sort of now with the legal weed right these people come from this whole hippie ideal be one with the earth Yet the plastic and the mm-hmm. waste and all of the, you know, the, the extra packaging and, right. um, sort of makes it moot. Right. Well, we're in the midst of seeing those two worlds collide. I mean, it's a very interesting time. You know, when alcohol prohibition ended, it ended state by state, but it happened really fast. The dominoes fell quickly, you know, and our dominoes aren't falling quite as quickly. So there's places in America where you can grow and be a millionaire legally and uh, and have the police come and inspect your garden and it could be, you know, 50,000 square feet and then the next state over, you can get life in prison for five plants. Right. So it is really a strange time for, you know, and it's interesting time, but that's all, it's all changing and like you said, um, these two cultures are meeting, this corporate culture and this like hippie, you know, The hippie idealism, and, right. you know, there's a clash there for sure. You know, I see it at all the conventions, all the events, and, you know, you can tell um, where the money people are coming from, and you can tell, but it goes back to authenticity, like we were talking about before. I mean, if, if, if you're in it for the plant, and you're in it because you love it, people can tell. And if you're in it just to make money, and it's just like cell phones or any other, like, right. financial craze, people can tell. Right. Uh, I, and so, you know, to me, are you, you know, is this something you care about do you is it about longevity do you you know do you believe this is a healing flower or are you just trying to cash in on weed because it's legal you know and so you know not that there's anything wrong with making money right like i mean you gotta make you money. gotta make money and like i said i was you know at the forefront of that before ever even thinking about the politics of of things uh 
But then once I got involved, you know, politically and into high times and into meeting, you know, Jack Herrer and all the people who um, were fighting for legalization and all of that, I, then I realized, okay, well, the, even growing as a political act, even, you know, just showing up at like a pot rally or voting or any of those things um, is going to change things for the better. Because, you know, like I said, the corporate cannabis, everyone's worried Monsanto and Marlboro and all these things and packaging. But the truth is we're not going to jail anymore. You know, like that's people have to remember that, like, you know, this was there, there's been a lot of injustices and atrocities committed against a peaceful culture for sure based on this like lie about this plant. And, uh, you know, it's just I don't want to you know go into it, but there's just so much you know, depressing things that you learn when you work at a place like High Times about, you know, people call us just desperate, you know, I got busted, I'm this, I'm not, I need a lawyer, you know, and, and you know, you know, they're in Tennessee or wherever they are, they're going to jail, you know, right. and you may have encouraged them in a way to like do what they're doing. And yet now, you know, you feel a responsibility because they've, they're paying the price for it. So it's not all, you know, fun and games, fun and, and games. Right. It's, it's, it's life and death. You know, people are separated from their families. People don't get transplants. They get taken off of lists people are sitting in jail and they're uh, fucking, right. you know, empty medmans just sitting around <laughs> like it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And so, there, you know, like I said, it's an interesting time. It's a it's a strange time to be, you know, a part of it. But it's amazing to see, you know, and it is changing for the better, even with all the corporate stuff. It's still. Well, do you want the government in your weed? <laughs> do you want the government? Um, I, I mean, I think we can self-regulate. I, I don't need I don't I think let the you know government doesn't really need to be involved as far. I mean, you don't think the FDA just, is going to be like their, just pay them like their taxes and, okay. leave, and leave us alone is basically kind of the way I see it. Um, you know, it's, it's a plant, it's a flower, it's a vegetable, it's a fruit. You know what I mean? It's like, totally. it's not, it, it should be along the same lines as, you know, sugar or, you know, tobacco or, you know, caffeine or, you know, it's you're actually, naming all everything that's bad for you. Well, it's, I don't, safer, <laughs> it's safer than all those things. It's <laughs> like, actually, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Legal, you know right, what I mean? Sure. And, and even alcohol. So, you know. It, it it shouldn't even be on a schedule like a drug schedule is what I'm trying to say. It sh- you know those things aren't on you know di- you know uh, schedule one or schedule two. Mm-hmm. They're they're not on a schedule. It should be descheduled. It should be like tomatoes that you grow, and if you want to share them with your friends, you share them with your friends. And if you want to buy them at the store, you buy them at the store. You we know, love salad. We <laughs> love salad from with friends. And one thing that I've learned over all these years is that you get uh, you get a way higher quality when you know it's a small batch kind of locally produced product and rather than a big warehouse growing, you know, a bunch of boof. Why? Because you're singing to your plants and you're like more love and attention to detail. It's more just love and attention to detail, but like, yeah, each plant gets more, you know, care. And, you know, it's also about the, you know, the genetics of the plant and the, the ability to control the environment that it's growing in. Uh, And yeah, I mean, there's just something about, about it that's just way better when it's like comes out of a See, tent <laughs> i like like sadly like as much as i love the idea of going into like a medmen and going like shopping being able to buy it and smoke it right there i don't like to think about the sort of the future of this whole like dui like they're going to come up with some sort of 
Right. I find myself to be a better driver when I'm stoned. I'm way less <laughs> aggressive and mean and like, you know, have way less road rage. Um, not that I'm always high and I'm certainly um, don't make a habit of it, but <laughs> um, I'm nervous that there will be sort of this more like oppressive uh, approach to regulating usage. Mm-hmm. And that worries me. I also feel like a lot of people that can't get regular jobs that, you know, we're taking money out of their pocket. I mm-hmm. don't I, I don't want to take the money off the street personally. That's that's how I feel. about Right. It. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons I encourage people to grow their own. Um, and, you know, my book is about growing your own. Most of the articles I write are basically instructional step-by-steps for people, you know, plant a seed, you know, water the plants, things like that, because I'm not trying to get people into the cannabis industry. I'm trying to get them out of the cannabis industry and self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. So you're like, you know, farm to table for yourself. And and like, if you don't want to grow, some people are never going to grow their own, but there's collectives and cooperatives that you can join where someone's growing for five or six people. Yeah, of course. That is amazing. And that'll be, and that'll, that's my vision of uh, the future. It's not... Uh, you know, dispensaries have a right to exist. I I have no problem with it. I've been to plenty of them. Um, And like you said, uh, I mean, they have their place. If someone just wants to go pay their 50 bucks, buy an eighth and go home with their pre-rolls, that's fine. That's great. But if they're a connoisseur, you know, or an aficionado or a medical patient who really needs a particular strain grown to a particular high quality, and if they really love it and they're in it for you know, not just the high, but the flavor and the burnability and the aesthetic, you know, all of the enjoyment of it, um, they're going to want to get something, you know, that's small batch, like produced by someone who really cares and creates a great product. So whether you do it yourself or you align yourself with someone who's doing that, um, if you really want a great product and you don't want to, you know, use your credit card or whatever, there's just like they have farmer co-ops, you know, there's cannabis co-ops. They're going to be sprouting up all over that people can just join up and end up with a higher quality product for, you know, pennies to the dollar of what you would pay at any big dispensary because they have so, so much overhead cost. So I do see, a, I have a vision for the future that's not entirely apocalyptic. And I'm, okay. <laughs> I have some hope that it won't be entirely corporate and, and, and that way. Although, like I said, those things, though, all that's going to exist just like you can, you know, you can go buy Budweiser at the store or you can brew your own incredible homebrew if you want. Are you doing yeah. that too? I don't, I don't brew my own. <laughs> I don't brew my own beer. I, I don't know. Maybe you're you doing know. everything like at home. Like, <laughs> no, you know? I, I mean, there's plenty of people out, you know, like I said, NorCal Making cheese that are like, you know, and like churning and, butter yeah. and like, <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Everything's artisanal. But you know, when it comes to cannabis, I just think like there's, there's people who just want to smoke and get high. And then there's people who, who are just really into the different flavors and feelings. And so there's something out there for everyone. And, and I'm never going to buy cannabis from, Marlboro or Monsanto personally. So uh, what if you're, you know, <laughs> a you're somewhere where right. you can't I mean, like, like, you know, you never know. say never. <laughs> right. And I shouldn't say never. But like I said, uh, there's just a higher quality product that exists. And when people discover that, um, I think, you know, then they have a choice to make of whether they want mids or they want a grade. Right. <laughs> mids. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I'm like, I haven't smoked mids in so long, but I'm sure I have. 
Well, I mean, everyone's definition of mids is, depends on what their definition of A grade is, right? So you totally, can be your my A grade is your mid. <laughs> totally, I can I I can see it now. <laughs> but you know, I, I've been you know a marijuana user for mm-hmm. uh, off and on. I guess since I was thirteen, right. the same as you. Mm-hmm. Um. And I stopped, I guess when I was 19, I stopped, I was getting really like super paranoid. So I stopped for like a year. Mm-hmm. And then when I went back, everything was fine. <laughs> I was like, oh, hey, old friend, we're we're back. Right. But I think I was like having a very um, like difficult time at home with my parent, going to college. And like, I just, um, I don't know if it was the weed, but I stopped uh, for that year. And then I stopped when I was pregnant and breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And the day I decided to stop breastfeeding was the day I I smoked a big fat joint and <laughs> never turned back. Um, and the reason why I pr- if there was data that the marijuana is not harmful to your child, um, I'm sure I would have smoked. But nobody wants to put their baby up as a guinea pig, so there aren't that many uh, regulated tests about you know ingesting THC, CBD, whatever, while, uh, you know, in the gestational Mm -hmm. time or the breastfeeding time. And I just felt like I'd, whatever, I was stressed the fuck out. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Right, of course. But yeah, I, I mean, there have been tests like in Jamaica where there was really no harm caused to... I I believe that it's totally fine. I do. I just didn't want to... Guinea pig, <laughs> right? I didn't want to guinea pig my kid, right. and I'm uh, I'm sure a lot of women don't want to either. And uh, and I also have no judgment for the women that do, right. because I think you know that it really is <clears throat> not necessarily beneficial, but it's not harmful, right? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. For someone like me, Yes, I want better weed. Yes, I'm picky. And the people that I procure weed from are very picky. And I use their judgment as my uh, sort of like litmus test of of what I should buy or, (laughs) you know. But at the same time, I don't care as much as you. Right, right. I mean, well. And is that wrong? No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, people have varying degrees to which, you know. You know, something I dedicated my life to. So it's like, like I said, it got in the way of other parts of my life and I allowed it to because I really dedicated myself to it. And and, um, I know a lot of other people 
the same way. You know, I love going, I've, I've judged more cannabis cups than anybody on earth. You know, I, you go and you, you have a week to smoke like 40 strains and you just got to power through. There's so like, what are your, um, like checkpoints that right. are you, is it like head buzzy? Do you have like a specific list of things that you're looking for? for like, sure. I mean, first and what off, are they? What are they? You, I want to yeah. know. I want to know. Because <laughs> well, before you even, you know, before you even consume it, it's, it's about aesthetic, what it looks like, what, what it smells, smells like. like, um, you know, how well it was trimmed, that kind of thing. Really? You care about trimming? Yeah. I mean, I just don't want a lot of leaf, you know, material okay. um, mixed in with the flower. So if it's real leafy and you got to like take leaves off and stuff, that, you know, would take away a little bit from the score. But um, then you grind it up, you smell it again because you get like that ground smell. Correct. Like the, you've released the terpenes and the flavonoids and all of that. And mm. you smell it there, uh, roll it up. Um, then take a dry hit off it before you even light it just to kind of get that, you know, the flavor of it. Oh, really? You do yeah, that? I, I oh, do I'll that. Have to, I'm going to try that. <laughs> yeah. And then light it and smoke it. And so burnability to me is very important too. I think most people, I would say 99% are overfeeding their plants and it, they, it results in kind of like a harsh burn. Uh, it's like a piece of charcoal. You know what I mean? You got to keep relighting it. Okay. And it won't stay lit. It, it, it it, I like that know? because I'm like a. I like to take a hit and like put it down and like do something out well, and then come should, back to it. It should go out. I mean, like it should go out. But it. But if you're hitting it and it keeps going out, then so there's. Is like, it there like too wrong. high of like a moisture content? Like what? It, it could w- be moisture. Okay. But in in many cases, it's just uh you know it's minerals, it's nutrient salts that are just built up inside the huh. plant because people just overfeed and overfeed. When you see burnt leaf tips on the pictures and stuff, you you know that a plant's been overfed. And they try to flush it out at the end, but, you know, you can't really leach all of that out if, if you're overfeeding for, you know, three months and then and then try to flush it in two weeks. So burnability is important. And like I said, if, you know, if you feed the plant lightly, um, you end up with a much cleaner burning white ash, um, like a very wispy ash. And I think that's, for me, very important just because it, you know, it tastes good even halfway down a joint or, you know, towards the end, whereas... If it's overfed, you know, the first hit or two tastes fine, and then it just sort of chase, tastes like nothing, like smoke. And, uh, you know, the nutrient brands, the people who sell the plant food, they want you to use as much plant food as possible because they want you to finish the bottle and buy a new bottle and all that. So the recommendations are always real high. I tell people, you know, start at like half strength or quarter strength and work your way up. You can always add more. You know, so how do you know? How do you know the plant is thriving with uh, a particular formula? Right. Well, just you know, green leafy, leafy green growth. Like if it starts to go a little yellow, that means you you probably have a nutrient deficiency. Um, as long as you know the pH and everything is in balance. Um, if it starts, if you start to see burnt leaf tips, then you know you're overfeeding. So, and there's different signs of all the different you know nutrient deficiencies and micronutrients and macronutrients. It, it gets pretty complicated when you get deep into like the science of cultivation. So you're not buying miracle Grow for your weed? No, I do not recommend miracle Grow at all. I mean, that's... You know it's ruining the plant. It's like well, that's harming Scott's, the planet. You know, I mean, yeah, they, make, right. they make Roundup, you know, for, for Monsanto. It's, it's Monsanto, and, right. Yeah, they're related. I mean, they're all... You know, all those big companies are... They're, they're petrochemical they're bros. companies. And they're Totally. So, you know, Monsanto makes Roundup Ready Seeds. Uh, Scott's makes Roundup, and and they're in the cannabis business. I mean, they've they've purchased a lot of the grow equipment companies and mm. lighting. And, you know, they're they're in the business. They see the dollar signs for sure. 
And, you know, like, like I said, with the corporations, you know, they, it's not, we're not going to kick them out of the industry. We're not going to keep them out. Um, but it's up to you and me and whoever else is out there as a consumer to choose to buy what you, you know, you know, vote with your pocketbook uh, as far as what, you know, you support and what you want. But the same way where like retail, small retail, especially in New York City, well, it's everywhere, is being completely squashed mm-hmm. by huge corporate magnets. Absolutely. And in cannabis. It could potentially happen to weed. Yes. If we're not, if we're not super careful mm-hmm. about it. But there, I think... It will happen, and it is happening, but there will always be that niche craft cannabis market, and whether that's in the underground or not, it's, even if it has to stay in the underground, it will, um, because we have been in the underground. We can always go back. I mean, that's the thing that people, the corporations and people don't understand is that, like, we came from the black market. We came from the underground. Right. We, we can do this. We, we, we ta- know how to do this. Yeah, we right. did this tax-free for years and years. Our packaging was whatever packaging we found, and- we thrived and we survived and we don't need them as much as they need us. Correct. You know, and that's kind of gets back to that whole authenticity question and all of the, you know, that, you know, that, that leap that you make from the underground into the mainstream is, you know, is it's an, a test of your integrity, you know, and, and what you choose, how much of yourself you choose to allow to be exploited, so to speak, or whatever, you know, I mean, it depends, like I said, between industries and, you know, graph and cannabis have that um, similar aesthetic as being illegal. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, skateboarding and, you know, snowboarding, it's not illegal, but it's still dangerous. Un- it's still underground and right. dangerous and-, and it's still considered, you know, w- you know, to be kind of edgy. But like we could go to jail. Right. We're actually gangster. <laughs> and that real, and But that outlaw kind of mentality you know, it, 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 we can always go back if we if we need to or if we want to. So, um, like I said, they need us. They need our intellectual property. I mean, that's kind of what it boils down to is like the people with the authenticity and the people who've paid their dues have that intellectual property. And if they're if they're willing to give it away or sell it, that's they that's their choice. But if they want to maintain it and continue, then that's their choice too. Well, we've seen so much change in America. How do you see weed culture globally being uh, affected? And now things are changing in Amsterdam as well, right? Well, they're actually cracking down a little more right. over there in a weird way. Like as that, you're you like, know, what are you doing? <laughs> it's very strange. I mean, they they don't want Amsterdam to be known for like you know the red light district and the coffee shops. They want people to come for the you know the bridges and the canals and the museums. Wooden shoes. You know, <laughs> but, and, you know, in Amsterdam, is, I mean, don't, isn't that why you're, you're there for the whole experience. If you're right. spending your entire time in Amsterdam, smoking weed in a coffee shop, like you're really missing out. True. True. I always recommend, you know, people. The Van Gogh Museum is the yeah, best. Check out the yeah, Van Gogh yeah, Museum, yeah. the Rijksmuseum. Uh, there's some, some incredible sites the can- to see. The canals. Right. But it is overrun with tourists. I mean, that's the thing. They so they they they're they, and they also didn't really suffer from the financial crisis that we did. So they you know they can pick and choose who they want in their town. You know, and that's kind of what they're doing. But you know, globally, you know, America and Amer- the American drug war is what fuels the entire world's drug war in a big way. Um, and if we can get 
if we make changes here, they're going to make changes over there. And lots of countries are, I mean, Germany, uh, you know, South America, there's places where people are growing massive amounts of, of cannabis and exporting it between countries. Canada is exporting cannabis to Europe. Uh, and has been for a long time. Yeah. Right? Well, they're way ahead of us because they have, you know, they have national legalization and they can get, right. they can do banking. They can get loans. They, you know, we're, we're still stuffing money into mattresses and, <laughs> right, shoeboxes, yeah. for sure. Yeah, so you know they can get hundred million dollar loans that we just we don't we're not we don't have access to in the U.S. So they they have a jump a head start on us in a big way when it comes to global industry. But as far as like the laws changing, you know it's it's inevitable. It's happening. Um, I think there's only three or four states in the U.S. now that don't have at least some form of either medical recreational CBD law something. You know so. We are in the midst of a, of a huge kind of shift when it comes to the plant. But again, people have their business plans based on like prohibition pricing that they're going to get sure. 400 an ounce. And meanwhile, now they're producing, you know, tons and tons of flour that, you know, it, the, the amount of biomass is going to drop the price down to pennies. And the company, oh, it's great. Well, it, it is great. <laughs> it is great. But, you know, a consumer, lot of people think there's a lot of money. Sure to be made and there is money to be made but there's also a lot of money to be lost and there is a lot of people losing money uh hand over fist in the cannabis industry i mean don't get it twisted there it, it, right now it's mostly you know uh venture capital money that's pouring in um but there's not a ton of money pouring back out to those vc i mean they're they're gambling on well, the future well they're waiting right they're waiting, they're waiting and they like you they said, have like a- empty but they have a spot on 5th avenue just ready to go right the minute you know new york changes its laws they're they're going to open the doors to full you know flower concentrates everything or i've been walking by that like weed map store downtown <laughs> yeah like uh i think it's rivington street i can't mm-hmm. remember right and i and i'm always like oh i really like i should talk to them i should paint this like you know <laughs> yeah. and i'm like when are they gonna open up when are they gonna open up but they're just sitting paying a high mm-hmm. rent and right. waiting so they can like jump in when it when it happens right and new york is gonna blow up i mean between us and new jersey and you know all these east coast states are are gonna also have an opportunity to change what legalization looks like and whether there's equity for communities that have been you know uh disproportionately oppressed by the war on on drugs and and all that like we we can write that history now because oakland is doing that and they're really they're the only ones Pretty much. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, it's a very white male industry. Yes. <laughs> Reminiscent, I guess, of graph or skateboarding or any of these other subcultures. Yeah, 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 about. I yeah. Mean, hacking and, you know, it is, but it needs diversity. And, and that's a very important part of, uh, of what has to happen in the future, too, is that, you know, New York City is the birthplace of, you know, throwing all these people in jail, sending them upstate. You know, the city is basically where all the towns upstate get their prisoners from and you know they used to have factories and now they have jails uh so you know we need we need a major shift in cuz nonviolent cannabis offenders do not belong in jail whether not whether, at all. whether their crime was committed pre you know all of this or not so i i basically ge- generally tell people like that tell me oh what do you, why what are you still fighting for why are you like it's legal there's like, so much to fight I'm like, for i'm like there's still prisoners in jail so they have to get out their their records have to be expunged uh 
we have to be able to grow our own. So even in New York, like the law that they make probably won't allow for, you know, five or ten but plants. But you know you can't. In Florida, you can't even grow your own vegetables in your yard. There's some, like, crazy law that, like, you know, people right. do, of right. course. And I don't think it's necessarily enforced, but they could right. if they wanted to. Right. Just so, to fuck with somebody. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it is, it's crazy what we allow the government to tell us we can and can't do. Um, that's why we need outlaws. You know, that's why we need subcultures and all these things. Uh, but the, so it's those two things, uh, the prisoners, the, uh, grow your own and also social use, like just being able to get together and consume cannabis and somewhere, you know, like the way people drink at a bar, you know, like cannabis cafes and places people can, can smoke. Uh, so, you know, cause it's boring to just be able to, okay, it's legal, but you can only smoke in your house, you know, with the windows closed, you know, right. it, it's like, you know, anywhere people can smoke cigarettes, people should be able to smoke cannabis anywhere. Uh, you know, people are drinking alcohol. Right. There, sh- there should be a place where they can, you know, step outside and, and smoke cannabis. And, you know, you got a lot of people out there, veterans and seniors and people who use medical marijuana and they're lonely. They just want to get together with like-minded people. And like cannabis is social, you know, you pass the joint around a circle. It's a social experience. You getting high by yourself is totally different than being high with a group of so friends. So I remember being at the High Times 40th anniversary party across the street from my store. Right. Yeah. And you couldn't smoke weed because security was like up on you. Every time you lit up, they were like, you can't smoke in here. And you're like, we're at a High Times party. And they had a giant pinata filled with joints. Like, what am I doing here if I can't smoke weed? It was like a very... We did smoke. We did. We did. I mean, I smoked tons of pot that night, but I kept being sort of like circled right. by the security vultures. Mm-hmm. Like, right. you can't do that. Like, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many venues I've been kicked out of <laughs> for, for best, smoking pot. Just lighting up a joint. And I've like snuck back in and totally. kicked out again. I used to have this like dance move I would be like smoking on the dance floor and be able to like sort of like wave my weeds and smoke away and be like what what like you know what I mean like have all these like hand movements and right. stuff you guys have no visuals but I'm dancing I'm chair dancing um, it, you know it's what one hitters were invented for it was like just to get that quick that you know. quick little mm. when do you think that uh, uh, now we we see uh, marijuana being embraced Lightly by the medical industry. At mm. least I do. I don't right. see it as a real uh, suggestion, especially someone like me who's injured herself twice in one year. <laughs> Thank you very much. Who does that? <laughs> yeah. Um, they asked me if I smoke cigarettes. I said I don't smoke cigarettes. They said good because that's the number one worst habit to have, especially when your bones are healing because it constricts the blood. And I was like, what about smoking other things? And they're like, what did you mean? And I said, what about smoking weed? And they're like, well, we can't legally say, but we kind of encourage that. And I was like, wow. oh, it doesn't really affect it, the the bone in the same way as mm-hmm. tobacco? No, no, no. It's completely different. Why couldn't my doctor just be like, you know, if you're in pain, why don't you smoke some weed? <laughs> or... um I'm sure that like Pfizer and all these big, you know, Lilly and all these big companies are researching right. night and day what they can do. And they've, you know, spent years and years suppressing <laughs> uh, information that it is uh, a beneficial uh, 
treatment for pain mm-hmm. and cancer and all sorts of things, more than just a, a pain reliever, it actually is a restorative uh, right. regenerator, yeah, right? It heals brain cells and crazy. Right. When are we going to see a real shift in medicine to cannabis? Because it is so much less detrimental. Right. Yeah. I mean, it has to do with the scheduling. Schedule one is no medical use. So it's up there with, you know, heroin and, you know, uh, PCP and things like that. Whereas like even cocaine, for instance, is schedule two because the dentists use it to numb people's, you know, gums for, right. for surgery. So that has a medical use as far as the government is concerned. But marijuana has none uh, as far as they say. So if they take it off that schedule, like not schedule one, hopefully not on any schedule, two, three, four, but off, then doctors can say anything they want. But as long as the government's telling them it has no medical use, then they're put, putting their careers in jeopardy by recommending it to someone. Um, and they're not even allowed to study it. Any studies that are allowed have to be negative. It's, it's, you know, it's been oppressed, like you said. But again, those companies are now realizing that there's billions of dollars to be made. And so pharmaceutical companies are heavily involved in uh, studying cannabis for appetite suppression, for appetite increasement. Appetite Every, suppression? Yeah, Bring it on. Well, THC, I need that kind of weed. <laughs> there's THCV and THCA. And, you know, I mean, obviously everyone knows about like the CBD craze that's going on. But it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's all these different compounds and how they interact with each other um, along with THC and CBG and CBN and all these cannabinoids that are there. So there's over, you know, there's over a hundred, many, you know, there's lots of those things there and in varying degrees. But when you can isolate them and then, you know, reintroduce them together with each other at different ratios and things like that, um, and you wind up with a full spectrum medicine for a particular Subject. So if you find out this particular thing helps kids with epilepsy or this uh, increases appetite or this decreases it, that's, you know, gold for pharmaceutical companies if they can do that. Uh, so they're chomp, jumping at the bit as well to be involved. And there's plenty that are involved and are, you know, formulating things as we speak. But they're also held back by the government because they need the schedule changed as much as anybody else. All right, to, to like release the Kraken or whatever. Right, and to do studies. I mean, you got to do like real... <laughs> like release the Kraken. <laughs> you got to do real studies. You got to have, you know... Data. We data need data. And, we need and, real data. You know, testing real. that involves, you know, real... Humans. Right, right. real hum, you know, humans and all that. And, and not testing that's rigged to only, you know, when you take a rat and just force them to ingest like 50,000 50, joints worth of cannabis oh, all at one right. time... You know, you can say, oh, it causes harm, but like no one's ever going to do that. That's- Remember they were doing that with like saccharin and sweet and low where they would like put just like its own body weight in saccharin <laughs> and they would like make it in there. They're like, it's really bad, but like nobody ingests that much at the same <laughs> exactly. time. I mean, that's that's when science is used for political purpose. You know, that's called Lysenkoism when you uh, speaking as a Russian <laughs> Lysenkoism is basically when you you, you take uh science and use it for a political purpose uh, rather than just for the purpose of trying to figure something out for real. Right. You know. And this whole like CBD craze. Yes. I am using some CBD topical uh, products, Mm -hmm. which I like to tell myself is helping me. (laughs) I was taking some CBD drop under the tongue, which I was 
trying to tell myself was helping me. Mm -hmm. I didn't really feel it. Yeah, well, it doesn't have a psychoactive effect. It's really I didn't just necessarily to... feel pain relief mm -hmm. it, like uh, the same way I would if I was to take an aspirin or something right, like that. Right. Like I was waiting, you know, like, oh, maybe my talk, like I have to do it every day for a week. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I smoked CBD weed that had no THC in it. And I felt just as hyper as I always do, which is a lot. I'm a hyper person. <laughs> um, and sometimes I wonder, is this just some, you know what I mean? Like, or, or does CBD it, bow. right. Does it need, <laughs> does it need the THC to work correctly by, you know, removing it and it being its own, you know, is yeah, it not yeah. in, in the correct formulation or well it's you know cbd on its own uh is helpful and and does have therapeutic benefits that's been established mm -hmm. you know anecdotally and for real um but it is more effective when there are when it's a full spectrum cbd so if there's thc in small amounts or in large amounts it really depends on the ratio um, between CBD and THC and how they interact with all those other cannabinoids. So, right. you know, uh, I don't want to get bogged down in all the science of it, but full spectrum CBD is far more effective than isolate. Okay, CBD. good to okay, good right. to know. So, and um, CBD in conjunction with THC is is even more effective. And then when uh, depending on the ratio, that could be more effective for a particular thing that you're trying to treat. Right. So, okay. You know, epilepsy is affected differently than brain injury and or than, you know, pain in the leg, for instance, or whatever. So, you know, you might need a four to one ratio or a one to one ratio or two to one ratio of CBD to THC or THC I to see. CBD. Um, but that's all got to be figured out by, you know, testing and labs and things like that. And and, and yourself, right? And, yeah, and trial and, and error. Individual people, right. because, again, cannabis affects different people differently as well. So. The same strain that might make you paranoid might calm another person down. Sure. You know, and that's another kind of mystery about all these interactions between um, cannabinoids. And the same edible, you could take the same edible on an empty stomach and be flying for two hours and you could take it on a full stomach and, and not barely feel, feel anything. It. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so it really is a, on a case by case basis. Um, but CBD is effective, but like, again, we're scratching the surface because there's so many other cannabinoids and they're going to be finding, there's going to be another craze. It's going to be the CBG sure. craze. And then there's going to be the THCA and THCV craze. And people are juicing cannabis leaves now, like fresh cannabis leaves, juicing them in the same way that they do, um, you know, with wheatgrass uh -huh. and they're getting like, you know, therapeutic benefits from that as well. So, you know. This plant is a healing plant that was given to us. Dr. Lester Grinspoon says, you know, in the future, one day they're going to look back and, you know, basically consider cannabis the penicillin of its time uh, as far as all the different medical uses. That, wow. Yeah, it's, it's really an amazing thing. And the discoveries have yet to be found, like many of them. So um, I'm looking forward to, you know, the future, seeing like, you know, where we can take this thing because... Uh, Again, it's the safe. There, there's no safer substance really out there. No, that just, it doesn't kill you. You know, a cannabis overdose is a nap <laughs> right? and a snack. You know, uh, and uh, you know, and it has all these amazing benefits. So you know, it's it's gratifying to see the change, but it also seems like just glacial pace because 
again, seven over 17 years, a lot has happened, but we have so much further to go. We do. So what do you prefer? Now, this is not high times. This is not, uh, this is just Danny's preference. What do you prefer? Edible, concentrate, or flour? Uh, flour. Flour's the best! <laughs> I love flour. I yeah, know, I me like, too. I just, I love, part of it is just the, the ritual of, you know, the grinding and Indeed. the rolling and the smoking and the passing and like, you know, it, there's just something about it, uh, you know, I don't know. For me, it's the flower. But, I, you know, again, I love edibles, too. Um, it's a great way to sleep well if you have insomnia or things like that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's not, for me, such a great social um, way edibles? to consume. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, kind you get of, it. You just, like, just want to, yeah, I know. You I just want to sit chill. on the couch and, like, listen to music. And <laughs> yeah, like, and, and I love concentrates, too. I do dabs. I, you know, hit the vape pen as long as it's a legitimate, you know, I know where it came from and all that stuff. Because, of course, now we have a vape crisis on our hands. Oh, my God. So, you know, and us being parents, too, we got to be worried about that. Um, so, you know, I, but, yeah, I, but for me, it boils down to flour. But I know kids now that I've met that they know, they they look down on flour and they just yeah, do dabs. Yeah, like, it's like an ancient it's like like how, ritual right, or something. It's, it's an old people thing. <laughs> 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 you know. But they love, like, they love prepackaged, easy, like, no work, um, you know, blue apron prepared mm -hmm. stuff that they're not having to sort of get their hands dirty with. They don't right. want to cook. They don't want to <laughs> roll. You know what I mean? And, right. and, and that's the problem is that uh, there's so many hands touching your, you know— <laughs> Your, um, cons you know, things you're consuming. It's mm -hmm. it, to me that's more scary. Yeah, and also, I mean, I find with like with flour, like I don't get quite as high as concentrates, but it lasts longer. And with concentrates, it comes on real strong, real quick, and then it's sort of gone. And I would say the same. And I get a hangover from concentrates. I feel bit. it. The I feel it. The and yeah. edibles. I feel it the next day, and I don't necessarily want to. And I never feel that way after right. smoking flour. Even with edibles, it, it, it depends on what you know you use to make the edible. If you're using cannabis butter, it's very different than if you're using an isolated, you know, THC isolate uh, or distillate. Um, again, it's like you know how it gets through the brain-blood barrier is kind of how it affects you. If it's going through your liver, if it's going through your lungs, all these different things, and and you know your body's physiology plays a role. Of it's course, like, right. Know, it affects everyone differently. That's what makes it hard differently. to study is right. it affects people differently. And that's what kind of freaks some of the doctors out is because they can't just say, uh, you know, take two, smoke five joints of Jack Herrer and then call me in the morning. You but know? you can't do that with uh, people that have a, a lactose allergy or right. a gluten right. allergy. You know what I mean? Like everyone is right. different and how can you test that right. across it's hard to quantify for them and so it, it's you know they worry that they're gonna you know i guess misdiagnose somebody or you know f give them something they that freaks them out or mm -hmm. whatever um but again like i said you know this is a very very safe harmless substance and it's been vilified and made into this like evil uh but it's been legal. It was legal for far longer than it's been illegal. People forget that this started in the 30s. Sure. Before that, it was part of. And the it was racial, right? It was. Right. It was, it was yeah. a racial profile. Absolutely. I mean, it was about Mexicans and and black people, basically 
controlling Thinking them they can and hang for, out with right, white people right, and they're equals, right? Like, you know, how dare they? <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> it is crazy to think yeah. about. So, uh, my last my last question for you is: as a parent, right, talking to young people, mm-hmm. have you had this conversation with your? Uh, your own child. <laughs> it's crazy. I just literally had this conversation about a week ago with my son, my first time, um, and he's nine. Uh, and he asked me, you know, Daddy, you, you know, you go, you went upstairs, you're always checking on the gutters. In the- <laughs> <laughs> you look like I'm going to check on the gutters. That's but a good one. But you come back and you smell like smoke. And so I said, well, you know, I got out a book that I had particularly, I bought for this occasion. <laughs> okay, what's I, it called? I got to write it down <laughs> it's right called, now. It's just a plant. Okay. Uh, it's by a friend called, named Ricardo Cortez. Mm-hmm. It's called It's Just a Plant. And it's a kid's book about cannabis okay. as a plant and a flower and me- a medicine. And we read it together, you know, and he seemed pretty chill about it. I mean, he's obviously heard of it. He knows I work at high times. So did you tell him, like, you can't talk about this at school? Or, I like, mean, how I, do you, how do you know what I mean? You know, I, I told him, like, you know, it's still illegal here. But all of that is changing, and some places it's not, and some places it is. And, you know, I compared it in a way to sort of civil rights movement, although it's not, you know, as, you know, monumental as something like that. But, you know, that w- it was illegal for, for, you know, black people to marry white people. It was illegal. So, ille- you know, just because something is illegal does not make it wrong. And so that sort of explanation, like, Things have been illegal and then become legal because we realized we were wrong about those things. And, you know, the law changes. But the reality is this is a medicine. Um, it helps me. Uh, I My job is, you know, to write about this and to change these laws and to help more people understand that, like, this is a safe substance and not a drug or narcotic. And, uh, you know, I think he got it. But again, you know, but we're going to continue having that conversation because right. it's... Wh- when- is it going to be acceptable for you to see your son at what age oh. that for him <laughs> to partake in this uh, medical? Well, I also told him, you know, your brain is developing and right. your body is developing and it's not good for kids to use. It's not just like alcohol um, and other things that are for adults. Right. But you and I are 13 year old weed smokers. You true, know what I mean? True. So, like, but what if, happens there? It's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, look. But it was. It was. <laughs> imagine it was sort of the world. Like your father is a professional marijuana expert, <laughs> and stuff is available everywhere, and right. you can get right when you're 13. You're hiding it. You barely right. can get a little bit. You smoke in these pinners. Like, well, I would honestly. I, I would much, much, much rather he smoke cannabis than cigarettes. Of course. Than, you know, vape, tobacco, right. nicotine, or, or drinking. alcohol. Right, of course. And all of those things are legal uh, and out there for kids. You know, I mean, obviously they're not supposed to, but they, they find it. Oh, yeah. And, and so. It's marketed to know, them. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And, you know, even sugar to me, like even things like caffeine and sugar are far more harmful than, than marijuana. So, uh. I, you know, I would Are you going to say 16? Are you going to say 18? (laughs) Like, Like, are you... Certainly 16, yeah. Okay. 16, I would be... That's acceptable to me. Uh, But, again, I would prefer 18. Okay. But, again, I'm not... But, 
you know, I'm not going to make him wait if he's, if it's something he's interested in and he wants to try it, he can try it. I'd rather he do it in the, in the safety of our home. You know, I'd rather he, you know, not buy something off the street and, or, or, you know, from one he's of He's just going to steal it from you. Come on. Like he is a hundred percent not buying. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> you're right. Um, yeah. Again, like, you know, I never thought I was going to have kids. So it wasn't like a, uh, right, thing I had to right. think about. Sure. And now that you know my kid's getting now to that, that he's age, here, right? You know, he knows where I work. He knows, you know, he's met my friends. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, he. I don't think you know he's blind to the reality of the situation. But again, he's nine, so he doesn't quite understand why he can or why you know. But and um, you don't. You're not smoking in front of him. No, no. I See, don't. I, I don't. I don't. Do. E- yeah, I don't either. I, I, I know people who do, but removed. I haven't. I probably won't for a long time, just because. That's once a they weird. see it, it's oh, again, then, it's on, right? right. They're then like, "Daddy's does it. I want to do right. too. I'm a big boy." Like, right. yeah, I right. agree. I agree with you. Right, and and but you know, I'm also not. I wouldn't make him wait till he was 21 to drink alcohol. You know, I'd let him try it, and because mm-hmm. I think a lot of that binge, it's men- a stigma, the, right? The there, binge mentality that you know American sure. kids have that European kids don't is because they're they're kept away from it for so long, and then they they go to off to college and they're free suddenly and they just go berserk, you know, whereas a French kid that has wine with dinner as they're growing up, isn't nearly as, as weird about it, you know, and Dutch kids like in Holland, they think smoking weed is like cheesy and corny. It's like what tourists and old people do. You know what I mean? Right. They're like, why are you here? Right. They, they look at it as like, like kind of a corny thing to do. Um, which is kind of funny in a way, but, um, it certainly doesn't have an outlaw kind of stigma to it. Like, like for me, you know, it was like, Whoa, like this is illegal. Why is it illegal? And then after you smoke, you're like, wait a second, are they lying to me about all everything? Like, and that's what I think when they talk about the gateway, the gateway is like the gateway that they built because you know, you're, you've been lying to us about pot and then we try that and clearly see that you're lying and then, well, well, maybe you're lying about all those other things. I mean, and, they are. They're lying about everything. <laughs> they are. But I mean, but I'm, you know, these people are like, oh, he's Mr. Drug Guy. I, I'm not Mr. Drug Guy. Like, I, I'm scared. I don't even feel like weed's a I'm drug. Sca- yeah, I'm scared of, I don't take aspirin even. I'm afraid of pills. I mean, I've had my experiences with other drugs and stuff. But, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, m- marijuana and psychedelics belong in a completely different world than you know cocaine and heroin and 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 methamphetamine and things like that i'm deathly afraid of you know fentanyl and and all of these things that are out there just killing generations of kids um and so you know people oh high times drug guy blah 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 you you know you must do this and you must do that no i smoke weed take you know the occasional psychedelic like once a year if Uh that and uh and really, that's it. You well, know? it's very hard to do drugs when you have kids, and <laughs> you're trying to be too. like a responsible parent. Yeah, like it's not. Just, that's not know. cute. You know, we've cute. all seen our friends go down that path, and and you know, it's so different. Like a pothead is so different from you know someone who's into hard drugs. Like it's like two completely different societies and, for sure. and things going on. And you know, really, marijuana is a gateway back for a lot of people who have had issues with opioids or alcohol, you know, they can use cannabis to kind of wean themselves off of those things. And I've seen that time and time again. I mean, it's the miracle. It's, it's a miracle. I love it. I love it. (laughs) I really do. I love it too. And, you know, 
all the different strains, all the, there's just so much to it. You know, like, um, the people that I meet all around the world, like even in countries where they don't even speak English, but you know, you put two fingers together and put them to your lips and you, you find this like the international language yeah. of live. It's like this yep. camaraderie that you can have all over the world with people and brings people together. And it, I don't know, it just, to me, it's it's a wonderful thing, and maybe it's not for everyone, but there's a lot of people that can benefit from it. Certainly, shouldn't be illegal. People should not be getting locked up and separated from families. And I mean, people's dogs are being shot and raids and just all this crazy stuff. It's just it's horrific. All the injustice that has occurred. Um, so that has to you have to weigh that against the balance of the you know hassles of corporate cannabis right? for sure i know some people like you know they, they they long for the days of it being illegal um but i guarantee none of them actually went to jail for it because <laughs> if you did you wouldn't you wouldn't long In, for that indeed indeed so where do we find out all things danny danko <laughs> uh you're on your twitter yeah instagram danny danko danny danko on twitter and facebook danny danko ht on instagram because uh-huh. i was kicked off of instagram you were yeah for putting up you know pictures from my weed work. porn my weed porn weed right porn. okay uh hightimes.com uh for you know grow articles that you can read online uh, you can subscribe to the magazine there. You can find out about all of our events at CannabisCup.com. And I uh, hope to see you at... What about event. your book? Come on! Oh, my book is <laughs> Cannabis, A Beginner's Guide to Growing Marijuana. It's available on Amazon and at uh, the cooler bookstores. Yes. <laughs> and it's a beginner's guide. It's really meant for anyone who just wants to like learn the basics of creating their own healing flowers. Um and there's other books out there that are more like textbooks and you will eventually, you know, need to step up and get yourself one of those. But if you're a beginner, this is, this is your, yeah. entry your level. intro. It's, in, yeah, it's right. an entry level. It's illustrated. It's, um, yeah, I try to keep it pretty simple for people. Um, it's not, you know, a book for people that want to get rich growing. It's right. More, this is for, se- <laughs> right. You're uh, for a grandma who wants to like grow six plants in a, in a tent or a closet and, you know, be self-sufficient and have a, uh, a better product for a lower price, uh, without pesticides, without you know, overfeeding. You know which strain it is, you, and it's fun. It's really fun to grow your own. It's like it's addictive. <laughs> I'm uh, so bad with house plants. I can't even imagine. Like I'm really like it's terrible. I'm good with outdoor plants, but but indoor plants, I don't know. Why. I like either overwater them, I underwater them. I don't have. An indoor green thumb. Yeah, it's tough, especially here where we have our cold, dry winters in New York. I mean, without supplemental lighting, it's pretty hard to keep plants alive year-round. Could you, in theory, just grow seasonally outdoors in New York? You could, okay. sure. I mean, we live, we all live very close to each other, and people are, might, you know, stumble upon your plants Indeed. if they're out there. But, I, you know, plenty of people grow on their windowsill or balconies and, you know, roof decks and all around. I mean, all you need is a um, container and some soil and some seeds and a decent amount of sunlight, you know, water. All right. Good to know. <laughs> Good to know. I'm going to actually, I have a copy of your book. I'm going to peruse it because it would be nice to um, cultivate my own, uh, my own bud. I would be into that. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. And like I said, you get a better product uh, for lower price and you don't have to be concerned about, you know, packaging and and you know all of the you know harms of of you know corporations taking over 
A hundred percent. This no transactions out, <laughs> outside the home. Like it's great. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yay. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. So now, now have you been edumacated? Yeah. You've been herbalized? Oh, dude. I'm so <laughs> educated. But, you know, I really, um, I really respect the time and the patience, the love, the, the art of, of this agriculture and. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that, in my mind, when weed becomes legal, we become closer with nature. Well, dude, this is the biggest problem that I've always had with it, – it, it's fucking – it's a plant that grows. Like, give me a break. Okay, it's just a plant, it yo. It grows fucking wild in certain places. So I mean – Don't get all hot and heavy, especially when it's like, you know, when alcohol is legal – and I love the alcohol, baby, but – Let's face it. We know which one's more pr- more trouble. It's so crazy how weed got just such yeah. a bad rap and alcohol, you know, is just. It's all about commerce, baby. It's all. And, and race. Yeah. And race. That is a big, yeah. big issue there. Um, So if you want to keep up with Danny Danko, because obviously now you need <laughs> to know, you need to pick up an issue of High Times, number one, motherfuckers. And number two, he is on the Twitter, the Facebook, Danny Danko, on Instagram at Danny Danko HT, which I believe is for High Times. Wow, you're a detective too. And uh, keep up um, with us as well. Brad is on nothing. Soundwag, he maybe posts once every three years. Yeah. But go to Macy's and check out the window because he'll be in there with striped socks and curly shoes. <laughs> um, and I am on the Instagram at Claw Money, the Twitter, the Facebook, the website. Your presence. Clonco. Clonco.com. We're, we're in there. My, my crew, they're posting night and day. They're just like you and... My crew in your little gonna, in your little workshop. I'll get a crew. That's right. In your little in your little Macy's workshop crew. Your elf crew. <laughs> I have elves. Everybody needs elves. Yeah, my elves are hot though. <laughs> um, so I, you know, who I saw on the bus today. Who bubbles? You saw bubbles. I saw half of bubbles. Oh, shout out to bubbles, our music maker. Said he liked our last episode. Yes. So we better give him some props because he's listening. Yo, bubbles. <laughs> Shout out to Bubbles. You you make our you make our life. Now, honestly, like everybody loves the track, and they're constantly asking me. Contact Bubbles for your own damn track, people. Yeah, baby. Yeah. I don't know if he has socials, but uh, Bubbles NYC on they. Bubbles really is them. A it's a them. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a 
a duo. Right. I'm friends with the beat making half. Yeah, me too. That's <laughs> that's my boy. That's my boy. Shout out to Alon. We love you. Um shout out to Acast, shout out to Allie, shout out to Emma, shout out to Bill, shout out to all the people that make this happen. And shout out to you for listening. We'll see you soon. 